to start with prayer. Father, right now, what a truth in that song, what an invitation you give us to come running to you and to know that your arms are open wide for us. Today, Father, I pray that you would draw us close, that you would invite us back to a, a fire in our soul, a relationship with you that is sincere, genuine, pure, a place where we see what maybe we would miss if we weren't close to you. I pray that you would open our eyes. I pray that your spirit would work in us. I pray that as we open your word that you would speak to our lives and our situation. We've come today with burdens and challenges, with wounds, and all of that matters, Father, but none of it measures up to whether or not we live by the power of the Spirit, whether or not our lives are entrusted to our Heavenly Father, whether or not we know you and live for you, whether our faith is fully in you, so today, Father, I pray that you would do this work of purifying and cleansing for your people. So to give this service to you, we put our trust in your spirit to work in us. For to the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Have a seat this morning. And uh, we are going to come back to some music when we get towards the end of our service. So uh, we'll have a little bit more. I know that's not kind of our normal amount there or even the normal, say, mode of worship that we do on a Sunday morning. Uh, but I'm glad that you're here. I'm excited as we walk through the service for some of the things that God has for us. Uh, if you are new or newer, I want to welcome you. Church family, I love that you are here. If you're new or newer, uh, we have a guest center. Please stop in. Let us know that you're here. You can also scan the QR code on your uh, Sunday post and let us know that you're here. But there's a gift back there. So even if you do that, make sure you stop in with the gift. Uh, at the, um, a little bit earlier in our service today, we're going to be passing out communion, and we're going to do it differently than we normally do. You're going to stay right where you are, and we're going to pass out little cups that look like this. One side of them has the element of the bread, so I would encourage you to open that first. It's difficult if you open the juice first, you know. So open the bread part first, uh, and then uh, the juice part, and I'm also going to mention that some people I've heard in the recent past that some people uh, who have like a gluten allergy have not been participating in communion. Some of these are marked gluten-free, so please participate today. Uh, there, you should be able to see them pretty easily in the basket, so just make sure you take one of those today. And everything that we do about this service this day is going to point towards that moment when we have those uh, those elements in our hands, and we are uh, looking to the Lord in communion today. So I'm going to streamline a little bit to go through the story that we're going to look at in Numbers chapter 22. If you have your Bible, I would love for you to go to Numbers 22. And as we go through this story, we could talk all day about all kinds of the stuff that's going on in here. But I want to take one big thought with us into communion. And I've titled today, Doing Right, Wanting Wrong. Doing right, wanting wrong. I think we're all familiar with the concept that somebody's actions don't necessarily show us exactly what's in their hearts. You guys are familiar with that idea, right? That someone might be doing something, but their motivations might not be, shall we say, pure, sincere, genuine. I think when I was a child, there, there was a, uh, a disciplinary thing that my parents often did where we would have to stand. If we were in trouble, we'd have to stand like we'd stand in a corner or if we were being kind of sassy at dinner, we'd have to stand at dinner and stuff like that. So there was a lot of standing for me as a child. Uh, and I remember that my parents have always encapsulated one moment in my life where they just remember this about me because I was in trouble and I didn't want to be in trouble because I didn't think I had done anything wrong. I thought they were wrong, not me. I don't know if you have any children like that in your life, but I thought, mom and dad blew it here. I'm correct. So uh, they told me I had to go stand in the corner. 
And I fought with him and fought with him and fought with him. I don't know, I was four or five or something like that. And I finally went over to the corner to stand in the corner. And I don't know, it was 30 seconds into this. I, I had to declare myself. So I said to them from the corner, I may be standing up on the outside, but inside I'm sitting down. I wanted, yeah, you know, I got a lot of problems down. So, like, here I'm doing the right thing, but I want them to know that my motivation or inside. You know, when, when Dana and I first started talking, when I first started hanging around with Dana in college, um, I'd often hear her telling me about stuff that was hard or heavy, and I would say, man, I'm going to pray over that for you. I'm going to pray for you about that. And then the next time that, that we'd be together, I would keep in mind what was going on so I could ask her about it because I was concerned about what was going on and I wanted to find out what was happening. I found out later that she told her mom, about, she was going through some situation that was, that was you know, unsettled, uncertain, and, and of concern. And she said, I'm going to tell him about this because I know Mark Ott will pray for this. Because she always called me Mark Ott. I don't know. It's a whole nother thing. It's a whole nother thing. But she said, I know he will pray for it. And, uh, and I thought, wow, that's a really powerful thing. But here's the truth. The truth is I had a sincere interest in praying for her spiritually. I had a sincere interest in, in praying that God would be at work in her life. But I also wanted to have some reason to talk to her. You know what I mean? I can't give you a percentage on what it was. But both were very true and both were very present and so sometimes what sounds really, really spiritual isn't just spiritual. And I think we can fall into the trap where we're not really looking at what's actually happening inside of us. So I can see it sometimes in other people. Other times I'm surprised when it shows up. But we're going to continue with the story of Balaam today. This part of the story of Balaam is probably the famous part. It is the dramatic part. It is the confusing part. Last week, we saw King Balak of Moab send messengers to Balaam, and God told Balaam, no, you can't go curse Israel. And that's where this picks up. So start with me in, in verse 14 of Numbers chapter 22 down to verse 20. It says this, So the Moabite officials returned to Balak and said, Balaam refused to come with us. Then Balak sent other officials, more numerous and more distinguished than the first. They came to Balaam and said, This is what Balak, son of Zippor, says. Do not let anything keep you from coming to me, because I will reward you handsomely and do whatever you say. Come and put a curse on these people for me. But Balaam answered them, Even if Balak gave me all the silver and gold in his palace, I could not do anything, great or small, to go beyond the command of the Lord my God. Now spend the night here so that I can, so that I can find out what else the Lord will tell me. That night God came to Balaam and said, Since these men have come to summon you, go with them, but do only what I tell you. All right, so remember, God, he already had this whole cycle. Uh, God had told Balaam no, and Balaam said to them, no, can't do it. Balak's response after, we're talking about a two-week journey back and forth to see Balak and Balaam. So they come back after you know, a month or more away. They come back and they say to Balak, king of Moab, Balaam says no. And Balak's response is, okay, let me gather more important people, and let me say to Balaam, you can name your price. Whatever you want, you can have whatever you want. I will pay anything you want. Just come and put a curse on Israel for me. Now that really appeals to our humanity. It appeals to the part of us that believes if I could get what I want, I'd be good. I don't know if any of you recognize that in yourself, but most of us live every day with the presumption that if I could get what I want, then I'd be good. That's what goes on inside of Balaam here. Balak says to him, I will give you whatever you want. Plus, Balak sent more important people, so there's this sense of, man, I must really be important. Because not only did he come and ask me, and I said, no, he sent more important people. But this idea, this, this lure is set against a direct contradiction, which is, come put a curse on these people for me. Balaam's answer to these officials, recognizes that contradiction. And he says to them, no matter how much money I get, I can't do what God won't let me. 
He recognizes the contradiction that in order to get this money, in order to get this blank check, I have to do something that God already said no to. Of course, you and I know people do stuff that God doesn't want us to do all the time. There are people around us that do what God does not want us to do all the time. But what Balaam is saying is, I can't guarantee that my prophecy, that my blessing or cursing is going to be accurate, is going to be true, is going to be reliable without knowing God is behind it. And so as we read that, it is tempting to say, what's wrong with that? Seems like everything's in order. Balaam says, I can't do anything except what God tells me to do. That sounds really faithful, really good. Except, Balaam goes back to God. And the question in the narrative is this. Why does Balaam go back to God? Why does he go ask again? I mean, I guess I get the fact that he has to get the okay from God, so he says he'll ask again. And there are times where we're supposed to keep asking. You know, keep asking, keep praying, keep praying. I get that. But there's something about this story, and it shows up in the next part, that says this is a hint that something is wrong. Something is off. Balaam and Balak got a no from God, and Balak says, not good enough. And then Balaam kind of does exactly the same thing. He goes, out, he goes back to God on the same exact question when God has already given a definitive no. God has said, no, I can't have you curse those people because I have blessed them. And Balaam goes back to God to find out what, he says, what else he will say. I want to find out what else he will say. Ultimately, what we are understanding from this scripture and the rest of scripture is that Balaam wanted a yes when God had said no. The promise of unlimited money or rewards is so enticing that Balaam hopes God will say something else. What Balaam does is he says it's more important that I am able to get the things that my flesh, that my humanity desires than it is to be truly, fully, sincerely submitted to God, to get on board with God's plan, to be in line with his kingdom. It's more important that I find a way to get the money. The motivation here turns out to be that Balaam wants a yes from God for the money that he gets. And surprisingly, shockingly, God does give a different answer. He says yes now. He says go ahead and go with them. He doesn't say a full yes, but he says go ahead and go with them. Has God changed his mind? Is he open to cursing these people now? Of course not. God is acting in accordance with the free will that he's given us, letting Balaam choose to push back on something God was clear about. As a matter of fact, God never says, go with them and I'll let you curse Israel. He says, go with them. And the question is, why would Balaam want to go all that journey? We're not talking about around the corner. I'll just pop in and see what's happening. We're talking about weeks of a journey here. Why does Balaam want to go on weeks of a journey just to have what he already knows is a no, be still a no. It doesn't fit. It doesn't seem right. But he gets a, yes, you're allowed to go. And he's so intent on chasing the money that he doesn't even question the change in direction. It's a direction he's been pulling to go in. And when God says, fine, do what you want, he's like, great, I've got God's blessing. But I don't think that's exactly accurate. And sometimes for us, we are so intent on getting God to do what we want that we don't ask where we have missed it. We don't ask what's wrong in me. We don't ask where am I so short-sighted? Where have I let my flesh take control? I believe that the way that we have even structured our lives is fighting against the well-being of our soul. Because we don't have time for this. Who has time to think about my motivation? Who has time to consider what, or, or spend some time listening to what God might have to say to me? We don't have time for it. 
And we've got so much we need to tell God about what we want. We don't have really any time left to hear what he might want. And so the story picks up, verse 21, down to 31. It says this, Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the Moabite officials. But God was very angry when he went. And the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. Balaam was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, it turned off the road into a field. Balaam beat it to get it back on the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path through the vineyards with walls on both sides. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. So he beat the donkey again. Then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn either to the left or to the, or to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it lay down under Balaam and he was angry and beat it with his staff. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth and it said to Balaam, what have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? Balaam answered the donkey, You have made a fool of me. If only I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. The donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your own donkey, which which you have always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No, he said. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed low and fell face down. This is... The stunning drama of the story of Balaam. It begins as God says, okay, fine, go with them if you want to go with them. And did you notice how fast Balaam got up and got going? He was like, it says early in the morning, he saddled his donkey and off he went. He's like, good. There is an eagerness inside of Balaam. We don't know how long or how he rode or, or how close together these three incidents happened with the donkey, but right as soon as he leaves, we read that God was very angry with Balaam for going. And in the original Hebrew, the, the impact of it is even more obvious because this word for anger from God is used other times in the book of Numbers, and it is always used for God's anger towards those in rebellion Those who have said no to God, those who have rejected God's say-so in their lives. In chapter 11, it's the nation of Israel. In chapter 12, it's Aaron and Miriam. Again, in chapter 25, at the end of the story, it's Israel. So this word tells us that, that Balaam is rebelling. God's anger here tells us that Balaam is rebelling against God, even while he's doing exactly what God said he could do. Even while he is speaking what sounds very spiritual, he is doing something that is rebelling against God. And because of that, we look at the actions, not just the words. We look at what these actions mean. As it says, God was very angry, the actual verb tense is God became angry as Balaam went. So in my imagination, here's what happens. As Balaam gets, his, gets up in the morning, and he's like, good. Oh, I can't, I can't wait to find out how much stuff I get when this all goes down. I can't wait to find out how much money I make from all of this. And as he's riding along, he's got weeks here to think about what's coming, where he's going, what's going to happen. And it's like this inner discourse inside of Balaam is totally opposite of what God had told him is what's going to happen, is what the line is. Technically, he's doing exactly what God said, but it feels like internally he is hoping to do exactly what God said not to do. Now, what I'm saying to you believers is this. This is not a new problem. That people who are rule keepers tend to look at actions and ignore motivations. They tend to look at exterior and avoid interior. And all that does is flame up your pride, your self-importance. And the way that we skew ourselves to thinking the best of us and the worst of others. Jesus said very similar things in Matthew 5 during the Sermon on the Mount. 
He said to Israel, who had received the law, if you think that keeping the rules is the point and gives you the right to be seen as spiritual and close to God, you've missed the point. He said the the rules are deeper and more searching than just boxes to check off. They are exposers of the deep problem that lies within fallen humanity. And if you think that just staying inside the lines is all that it takes, you've missed the point. So he says things like this. If you didn't commit adultery and you think that's it, then you can cross the line into immorality with just holding desires in your heart. Unspoken, unseen, but still corrupting. Still in rebellion to God. He says, well, you haven't killed anybody and you think that's to your credit, but if your heart harbors hate or if you actually speak to others with disdain, with disrespect, you have the same problem in you, in your soul, as someone who acts out in violence towards others. What God wants to do is search us and show us where we've blinded ourselves to what's actually happening, how our souls actually are. And it's not about, well, I didn't do this, and I did do that, and I did the spiritual stuff, and I avoided the unspiritual stuff. It's about where is your soul? God does this miracle with this donkey. And it comes from the angel of the Lord standing in the way. And he does it intentionally to expose how easy it was to see what Balaam chose to miss. In other words, it wasn't hard if Balaam had thought about it for a minute, if he actually wanted to, to understand that he was traveling a direction God did not want him to travel. Even though God said to him, go ahead and do that, it wasn't hard Even a donkey could see it. The point is, Balaam didn't see it because he wasn't interested in seeing it. Balaam's rebellion blinded him. And it wasn't an angry, forceful rebellion. It was just holding a value of something that God said that's not valuable. Christians, how often do we do that? How often do we hold in our soul a wish for something that we know technically God has said that's not very valuable, but inside of us, like, yeah, but it kind of is. And we don't chase it, or we don't go across lines, but we hold this desire in our hearts for something to satisfy us that isn't Him. We believe that somehow God is mistaken or that God's rightness is wronging us. Today, as we approach the Lord's table, this is going to be our focus. Are we doing right, but wanting wrong? Are we playing a role, but not really being honest about what's in our soul? Maybe it means you've tried to be a good person, but you've never actually put your faith in Jesus. You've never actually given him your life. And today is the time to do that. To acknowledge where your soul actually stands as opposed to the image that you try to portray. Maybe you're someone who says the right things and does good things, but you harbor a secret that you hope will never come out. And it's killing you, but you think it's saving you to keep the secret. Maybe it's pretending that your issues aren't really that big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal. I look at other people's stuff and their stuff's way worse. Mine's not a big deal. But God just keeps coming after you about it. And you keep trying to brush him off. And he keeps coming after you about it. And notice the progression as as he goes down the road. The progression starts with like when the donkey sees the angel of the Lord, the first one is he goes off into a field. It's like wide open. There's lots of room to avoid God. The next one is a lot tighter, so much so that when the donkey tries to go around the angel, he crushes Balaam's foot against the wall. And the last one, there's no room to turn. The only choice the donkey has is to lay down. Do you see the progression of God coming after Balaam? And for some of you, your life is hard and you're miserable and you're frustrated and you're defeated and you're in despair because God's been coming after you and you keep saying, God, what are you doing to me? I thought you loved me. And he's like, exactly. But you need me, not all this stuff. 
Not all these things that you hold dear in your heart. Not all these things you put your hope in that aren't me. You need me. And I'm coming after you so you'll see it. I keep trying to show you the death in them. That's what this is. We're like, man, as God's really angry, he's going to chop him with a sword. And if good thing his donkey was there, don't you understand? God is the one who made the donkey see. And he shows up as an angel with a sword so that Balaam will see the death that he's chasing. And God is trying to show us the death that we are chasing. People of God, we are here for the kingdom of God. We are people that belong to our Heavenly Father that have been redeemed and bought and washed by the blood of Jesus. But we live like there's something else that we should have instead. or We need in addition for our lives to be full, for our soul to be whole. Balaam starts to do to the donkey what he's trying to do to God. He's trying to make the donkey go where Balaam wants him to go. He's trying to make God do what Balaam wants him to do. Many times, God invites us to see our souls when we can't control what we want to control. When our anger and our strength don't get us the result we want. Some of us think what I need is more anger and more strength to get what I want. I need to be more forceful in my choices. I need to be stronger. I need to have more power so that I can get what I want. But God is the one stripping it away from you. The level of Balaam's frustration and anger is a sign that his soul is not right. That what he misses in the donkey sees is the highlight of how off this seer is. He doesn't see. He's blinded by greed. And so I'm saying to you, what's frustrating you right now? Where do you feel stuck? Is it just, well, that's just life? Or is it the work of the Spirit of God to probe your soul and try to show you something that you don't want to see? Balaam is rushing for the prophets of wickedness. This man who somehow supernaturally is able to see is simply blinded by greed, the same thing that blinds so many of us today. His internal conversation may have been just like ours, fooling ourselves into belief, well, I'm not doing anything wrong. God said I could go, so here I go. But what he misses is that all along the way, he is hoping to do what God said not to do. He's leaving the door open so that the possibility of what he wants is still possible. The truth is, God knows. Even if we don't, even if no one else does, God knows. God sees. And if you don't want to look at it, God is going to keep standing in your way. If you've been playing a game, consciously or unconsciously, he's coming after you, child of God. Even when it looks like you are genuinely and sincerely following Jesus, he's going to show you what you're holding, what you're wanting that you shouldn't. And this is the words of God. This is kind of how we finish up this part of the story. Verse 32 down to verse 35. It says this. The angel of the Lord asked him, why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I have come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If it had not turned away, I would certainly have killed you by now, but I would have spared it. Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I did not realize you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now, if you are displeased, I will go back. The angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men, but speak only what I tell you. So Balaam went with Balak's officials. God calls Balaam's course a reckless one. It's a really hard word. It's the only time this shows up in the Hebrew Bible. It's a hard word to translate, but it has the idea of this. Your way, the way you've chosen is itself against you. Your way is against you. Or or say it this way. Your way is going to rain down fallout on you that you don't want. And you keep believing that your way is going to bring you what you actually want. What you're going to find out is that when you get what you want, you didn't really want it. It is a reckless one. Some of us, the way the enemy has us trapped is that we never get what we want. So we can always keep believing that if we did, then we'd be okay. Instead of recognizing that what we've received is what we need, that what God has given us is enough, 
that being close to him is the problem and the solution. That we are moving away from the one who fills our soul and brings us alive. He is being reckless because he's pretending to do the right thing in order to have a chance to do the wrong thing. And that leaves him vulnerable to the destruction that comes from pushing away God. And notice what he says to God. God, if you are displeased, um, was that a, is that a question? Have, have any of you ever seen an angel standing in your way with a sword out? And if you did, would you be like, well, God, if you are displeased, I'm not sure if you are or not, but if you are, he stays in his blindness. His motivation is such that he can't bring himself to close the door on what he wants unless God makes him. And my point today, and I think the point of this story, is that God knows what's in Balaam's heart, and God was ready to bring judgment on him, but God used a donkey to spare him. God saw the good things, but he also saw what everybody else couldn't see, that Balaam's heart was not hidden from God. Maybe he even fooled himself into thinking he was doing nothing wrong, but it's clear from the story he was doing something wrong. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to have the servers come, and uh, we're going to take one, and you're going to just stay in your seats for a few minutes. Even as the music is played, even as the first song is sung, even as we sing, if you want to, the second song, we're just going to stay right here in our seats, not even asking you to stand up. But you're going to have these elements in your hand. And you can get them prepared, but as you get them in your hand, as you hold on to them, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take what we just saw in Balaam and I want to say, how about us? What about you? What about you and I today? What are our motivations as God sees them? What's going on in your soul? This is, these elements are given to represent the body and blood of Jesus to wash your sin away. It's sometimes the reason that I live like my sin hasn't been washed away is because I let it just sit in me instead of letting it get away. We spend so much time at high velocity, I'm not sure when the last time was that we even considered the question, how is my soul so today, here's what I'm asking you to do. As we observe communion, I'll come back up, I'll read a passage, and we'll all take it together. But while these songs are sung, and while we kind of stay in our seats and sing this, I'm asking you to ask the Lord, search me, show me. Maybe this morning the Spirit is already talking to you, and you need to respond with a yes. You need to respond that as you receive the bread and as you receive the juice, that you are letting your soul let go of the things that this washed you clean from. That you are asking the Lord to help you and move you forward. It could be that you've long believed that the secret keeps you safe, but it's actually killing you. It could be that something you wish you could do, but you know it isn't right, and you've held on to that, but you haven't ever dealt with it. And God says it needs to get dead. It needs to be put to death. And you're like, I don't want it to be put to death. I want to leave that door open. I want to think about it. I want to keep it in front of me. Maybe today's the day we need to put that to rest. The Spirit of God is in this place and in this moment. And I'm saying to you that in the quietness and as these, this music happens and we're sitting here holding this, He will search us if we ask Him to. He will purify us if we ask Him to. He has cleansed us and we can live cleansed. I'm not asking you to become paranoid, to be scared of shadows and to be all self-doubt, but to say this, Lord, here I am. Speak to me. Purify me. Bring me close to you. Help me let go of what keeps me away 
so that the path is clear and I can come close to you this day. Reflect on that today. Reflect on the story. Reflect on the challenge of this because Jesus gave his life so we could be washed clean, transformed, changed. So let's ask him to bring that to our souls.
we hold these elements in our hands, I want to read a passage from Hebrews that talks about the mindset that this brings us. And then we'll take together. Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance that faith brings. What gets in the way? Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Having our bodies, our actions washed with pure water. Let us therefore hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. How faithful is he? The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and took the cup said this is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. Whenever you eat this or drink this, do it in remembrance of me. In remembrance of him.
close with a word of prayer. Father, do this work in us. Let this not be the end of anything that you've been speaking to us about. Help us, Father, to question the wants that we have if they aren't you. Help us, Father, to be close to you. Help us to live by your grace and in your mercy. Help us, Father, for the dead things in us to come back to life by the power of your resurrection. Do this work as we go from this place, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.